Hello, welcome back to yet another episode of the DD Geopolitics Podcast. I am joined by JM and Lydia, of course, and our guest for today is the creative genius Igor Lopopnik, producer of the groundbreaking documentaries Ukraine on Fire and Revealing Ukraine, and the latest two-parter Agent Zelensky with Scott Ritter. Igor, how are you? It's been a little while. Hello, hello. Thank you for inviting me again. I'm all it's all the time a big pleasure for me. Everything good, and uh, I'm congratulating the Scott with releasing uh, of his new film. What I take uh, participation, and uh, I believe make some input in the in this such an important topic. Yeah, so let's dig right into it. I'm your latest film. Well, let's let's do a little. Mm-hmm. Let's not get in the weeds because we did that last episode. But well, a little bit of Ukraine on fire and revealing Ukraine. For our listeners that maybe have not seen it, I really hope we don't have that many that haven't seen it, but we'll link you anyway. Um, What started, it was with Oliver Stone, what kind of started the ball rolling in this, like, really digging into the meat and potatoes of Ukraine politics? Yeah, Ukrainian fire celebrating, it's already seven years, we lately was mentioned by Fox News. They find out this is a big movie about Ukrainian roots of Ukrainian crisis. They, when Oliver was on a talk show uh, with a British comedian, I forget the name. Oh my God! And he mentioned Ukrainian fire. So Fox uh, skip all what Oliver talk about his latest uh, documentary film, Nuclear Now, about nuclear energy, and they cited him mostly about Ukrainian <laughs> film. Yeah. And they find out that's oh, this is a movie here. <laughs> Seven years, yeah. But movie is working pretty well. I I uh, very proud to be a director. Be. Yeah, I'm very proud, and uh, I, uh, I I want to thank you one more thank thank one more time, Oliver, because he forced me to direct it. I I has no intention to direct that oh. film. Yes, it was my debut because. We, we, we go shopping for the big director. We talk to uh, Werner Gerzach, uh, Earl Morris, uh, uh, even thinking about Michael Moore. But Oliver tell me, Igor, no. Nobody from this great director, great directors, really great. They did amazing documentaries. They know nothing about Ukraine. You know practically everything. You speak language. You grown up in country. You moved to States. You know how to make the films. You need to direct it. I said, oh, Oliver, but I never did it. I think I'm not ready. I'm not ready. <laughs> because I am was, in my dreams, I was a director. But I think that's such a complicated uh, skill to tell story properly, to engage with the audience, and to be not only, uh, but be metaphorical. So, you know, I can compare it to the current situation. We have two big movies in release now in the United States. One of that called Barbie. <laughs> Sorry. And they make already a billion. And another one, amazing movie of Christopher Nolan, Oppenheimer. I recently watched Oppenheimer. I was expecting a masterpiece from Chris Nolan, but I never expect what oh, it's so good because it's timely as uh, any time yet because we, we need to be scared about nuclear war. And, and that movie delivered a good message for everyone. I uh, I can say only as Oliver said, bravo, Chris Nolan. I in my ratings of 
film directors, he was already in top 10, but now he's rising because he was uh, courageous enough to tell the story about how warmongers and politicians uh, abusing the uh, scientific achievements and uh, making our world more dangerous than it was before. And it's and that message is very timely because, yeah, with our films, all our four films on Ukrainian subject, and we start with a small one called Maidan Massacre. We did it in 2014 when the footprints on a Maidan was still hot and we deployed a team of uh, uh, cinematographers who film and who investigate the scene of that crime killing of 49 people uh, in a cool blood. And we find out that uh, with exclusion of few, they was killed by protesters, by hired guns from a protester side. So the opposition who's arranging this coup together with the help of uh, famous Victoria Nuland and uh, other people like a pirate ambassador to Ukraine of United States and others, they was giving them instruction to do this because they need to steer the media attention around the world. It was a tremendous uh, crime committed with the help of uh, masters of the school and they break the chain of Slavic people. They arrange the coup d'etat, uh, armed, armed coup d'etat in Ukraine. And after the coup d'etat exists, and it, in the final stages of coup, that they already start pumping up anti-Russian uh, narration and put and put Putin on the, uh, the uh, signs and uh, blaming him for everything. But Russia is all the time economically very helpful to Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine benefit a lot from the discounts on the natural gas. Etc. Etc. And it was a market for Ukrainian goods, what you can produce. And uh, they start blaming this for Ukraine, Ukraine enslaved by Russia, etc. Etc. It's all bullshit. Ukrainian economy uh, thrive only because they have the market in the, for they produced goods in Russia, and that was a big benefit for Ukraine. So the idea to join Europe and sign a trade association with Europe was not discussed with, uh, and it's actually what, what you can see in the Ukrainian fire. Putin himself explained it to us. We got that close to one hour length interview with him. What's Oliver conducted in uh, 2015 when he just started working on a uh, film, documentary film, uh, Putin interview or interview with Putin. Uh, it was uh, funny that it was a different name and for that film that was Mr. P uh initially like in a working title but when showtime released it they choose like a more mainstream like interview with putin and this movie back uh, very good success because the publicity of putin how that's presented by western media is totally different than his reality is and uh, people interesting people interesting to find out what is that man oliver have tremendous access uh, for two years, 2015, 16, and 17, they met in a different locations more than nine times. Each interview uh, was more than two hours length. And uh, they did four, four episodes. 
great film. And we did Ukrainian Fire. We released it in 2016 because we don't want to affect uh, release uh, of Snowden. Actually, now I'm thinking differently. We need to release it first. We will uh, uh, hit up that market for the Snowden. But at this time, we believe in that the Snowden need to go first. And that's take us a long time to release. We released it in the Tarmina Film Festival in June 2016. We got an award for the best documentary. And from this time, for now, uh, audience of film uh, crossed the 400 millions uh, around the world. Film translated in more than 35 languages uh, by the audience. They they want to have it in, in their own language, uh, such as the rare languages like Vietnamese and Slovenian, etc. And uh, I'm really proud about Ukrainian Fire. We decided to make a sequel in 2018 because situation was developing and it was a last chance to change the course through election process. And we secured the access to the leader of opposition uh, of in Ukraine, Viktor Medvedchuk. And together with Oliver, we also interview Putin for that uh, film. And we make the film. We all our films is anti-war film because the ending is very clear. It's a message to uh, in a desperate attempt to prevent hostile actions, to prevent unthinkable, to prevent war. And even more than it's war now, we are believing that's a big danger of direct confrontation of NATO and Russia or United States and Russia. And this tremendous danger for entire human civilization because we never experienced a direct war with the nuclear superpowers. We expect we experienced it from the very beginning of Cold War proxy conflicts as it was in Korea, as it was in Vietnam, Afghanistan, and uh, and now in Ukraine. But we never experienced a direct confrontation. And I still believe this is a direct confrontation. This is a doom for our civilization. This is why we make that films. And in 2021, <clears throat> for the 30 years of anniversary of Ukraine, we make a fourth path, what calls long time ukraine 30 years of independence uh the everlasting present so they've been again and again uh the same same things happen to ukraine again and again and we analyzed we speak with 11 speakers we cut off two <laughs> by the way there's a uh, interesting uh, detail we cut off director of military intelligence of ukraine uh mr malamush and uh, we cut off Nadezhda Savchenko. Uh, we interview them, but we don't take them to the film. But we was happy uh, to have uh, President Yushchenko. And I want somebody who know nothing to conduct interview, because if it will be Oliver, all the pro uh, Ukrainian forces will be declined the interview. So I choose very smart, but absolutely innocent in the knowledge of Ukraine. A lady, uh, my friend and the wife of George Papadopoulos, Simona Mangiante Papadopoulos. And she did great. She did, like, you know, when <laughs> when she just stepped in a Borispol airport, uh, her shoe was broken. 
And I said, oh, Simona, this is a good sign. Uh, because in Russian we have that idiom when you you broke your shoes. I mean you you're working, you're 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 ready to work very hard. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, that movie was released in 2021. It's very dark and uh, not very much happy film. Uh, but we need to say that. So well-being of Ukrainians diminished, decreased after that events in 2014 all dreams about european families and etc it's like it's nonsense it's just uh uh chimera what's uh planted in the ukrainian minds and and war is coming so in this uh i use metaphor of playing with fire from ukrainian fire actually very metaphorical in my documentaries I, I was i was blamed for that in the beginning only one person who tell me igor you need to do as you want it was oliver stone because all my team all my producers and others who helped me with ukraine fire asking me oh why are you doing this naked woman dancing in a fire what is that about and I tell her, listen, this is a metaphor about what's Ukraine doing. They dancing, they playing with the fire. They curious about fire, and after that, fire start burning. And uh, Oliver was right. Yeah, of course, everybody loved it, even people who don't like the film and hate the film a much. And me myself, and call myself Russian agent, they love our fire dance in Ukrainian fire. So we continue with uh, another metaphor in that the everlasting present when uh young people uh jumping over the fire that's a national it's a kind of folk celebration called day of ivana kupala when the boys and girls uh uh jumping through the fire and it's like a, a ritual to clean them it's not Christian ritual. It's come from before Christian times, but still exists in the in the Russian culture. And we we show our firebirds, and uh, this is a metaphor for everybody who warmongering, who's hawks, but this is a bird of fire who bring the fire to innocent life, to peaceful life, and make it all burn. And we and we see that exactly now in Ukraine, and I'm so sad about this because all our desperate attempt to speak to people, to change their minds, uh, fail. We try, we try hard, very much hard, uh, but we fail because a forces was standing against us, very well funded, very well organized, and they very skillful in the people's minds manipulation. That's it. That's is my films. <laughs> so and let's talk about let's talk about the Scott. Because oh Scott yeah, what the, what, debut, yeah. what? So you guys just said, you know what? Like enough is enough. It's time to like really lay it all out there. Everything about this guy is that like because I watched the films and I consider myself a pretty close follower of Zelensky and the political machinations of the Ukraine. But I was some of the stuff even I was like, oh my god. Oh my God. And I was like messaging people at the same time, like, did you know that? So let's keep up. They're like, oh my God. So what what why what made you guys decide like the time is it keeps getting banned, by the way. It's like I gotta keep 
finding it and directing people to it. So you know it's good if it keeps getting banned. So yeah, when we mm-hmm. just f- found it on Rumble, we had to link it on the channel because we posted the YouTube links and they got removed, of course. And so we found it on Rumble and had to change that. But hopefully it will stay there because it's it's something that everyone definitely needs to watch. We all watched it, all of our team. Actually, some of us several times because it, it really uh, it really is very interesting and a very easy watch in a good way. So it's it's easy to understand. And for me personally, because I'm someone who uh, who works in marketing, it was very interesting and close to my heart. A lot of the things that were mentioned there and how they used it to spin the narrative. Yeah, it's a good film. It's a good film. And uh, I congratulate Scott because first time he he make a debut in a film. Uh, uh, It's well done. The production value, as my friend George Allison tell me, oh, did you help him with the camera? Because I never see him uh, so good looking. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 it's not my production. I contribute for the film. Uh, but Scott definitely uh, a great guy who has a courage to talk. Uh, I was accused in everything what we was accused for years before, standing still and uh, do not take the shit seriously and keep exposing the Zelensky. Yeah, we touched Zelensky in revealing Ukraine a little bit, but we just show his promises to stop the war in Donbas what he was in, in his inaugurational speech he promised and our first goal to stop the war in Donbass he failed of course and uh, and I believe that was not his first goal but he used it uh, a lot during his uh, presidential campaign and as soon as uh, the power is secured and uh, in one year in one year Zelensky was completely corrupted by uh, uh the west first and he also was cornered by uh radical ukrainian nationalists so what scott doing is very good because scott showing to the western audience who zelensky is really and uh, how he serving not his own nation what's the biggest biggest problem with zelensky what he is not the statesman and not serving ukrainian nation because the first goal of every statesman is to avoid the war, a slaughtering of his own nation by more powerful adversary. And there's no doubt that Russia is more powerful. Russia is a nuclear superpower with economy bigger and uh, 20 times than Ukrainian and with uh, the human resources at least five times bigger. And... Uh, and this is biggest problem that Zelensky is not serving his nation. Actually, doing so, he completely illegitimate now as a president of Ukraine. He need to be treated as an authoritarian dictator who grabbed the power. And you know, people changing. Especially, I need to point out. I t- I say it in a film, Scott film, but I need to point out that again, actors have this qualities of them then they so sink into the character they start believing and associating themselves with the character so the character of Zelensky was a president of Ukraine and he is an actor 
So he's so thinking this, he believing now he's not only president of Ukraine, but he is a man who is a, the only hope for free Europe and free world who facing the evil and who fighting with him with all might. Only one little thing what he's forgetting. He's slaughtering my fellow Ukrainians in a huge amount. Nobody else in Ukrainian history was caused such a tremendous human losses as Zelensky. Yeah. I'm just, as I was listening to, to you, I was just really deep in thought because for, you know, for any Russian, this war is very personal. And the reason why I like your movies so much is that it's something that you can show to a lot of the foreign people who actually have no idea about the background, because pretty much everyone in Russia is aware of how all these things happened and um, yes. and why we are where we are. But a lot of people, they're clueless. And this is why I like that it's something that you can show and people can learn about things in a very condensed way. And and actually, today I was rewatching your movies to prepare for the podcast. And it just... It's a very sobering experience to think about Ukraine and what it could have been um, because it had so much potential and all none of this had to happen. Uh, I don't I don't think on the person to person level anyone really wanted it to happen. And it's a it's a big wound for both of our societies. And yeah, it just i just can't help but being very very sad when i think about these things and how we tried for years to prevent it but then ultimately we couldn't succeed yes that's that's most uh, sad part but another uh, point of view uh, we need to understand that tactic was chosen because in a direct confrontation this is impossible to overcome the russians uh, they have the history when they huge losses only happened when they start fighting each other. That was happening in Kiev and Rus when the old dukes fight each other and uh, weakened the uh, the state, the union, and this is what's happening now. They choose the weak chain in in this family of Slavic people, and they invest heavily in this chain to rise the differences and after that they implemented and they uh steer the war uh investing heavily i talking about cia operation uh from end of world war ii starting with operation trident and so on uh until latest and I, even early history was uh was a dreamers in europe existing who want to have uh, to cut, to carve part of Great Russian Empire and to make their own kingdoms. I'm talking about the William Gabsburg, who was uh, a spiritual teacher of uh, Stepan Bandera. And uh, that guy who was 16 in a line to uh, inherit for uh, Austro Hungarian throne of Gabsburg has no chance to be. Uh, the emperor he look on Ukraine and think oh look we can make a kingdom from Ukraine 
and under the umbrella of Austro-Hungarian Empire, we can carve it out of Russia and uh, establish myself as a king. Ukrainians call him Vasil Vishivani because he he wear the shorts, what's called Vishivanka in Ukrainian. And uh, uh, he failed in everything. He was arrested finally in the, after the war for collaboration with the Nazi and they ended up in a Russian uh, prisoner camp and died in there. But he left behind the legacy of Bandera because Bandera was working from he, for, to him from the time when Bandera was a young kid and uh, the, he was a member of PLAST. This is a youth a radical organization. They mostly fight against Poland, uh, Polish, uh, because Poles was uh, the masters of Ukraine and the Western Ukraine at this time. And he ended up with organizing of uh, terror acts against the Minister of Internal Affairs of Poland and they killed the guy. And after that, he was uh, prosecuted for that and put in a jail. Uh, he was released from the jail right before the World War II started and uh, already actively collaborated with the uh, other, what is the military intelligence of uh, Nazi Germany, and, uh, and use Ukrainian nationalists to help Nazi in the fight against Soviet Union. And as soon as uh, Stepan Bandera was there to announce the independent Ukrainian, uh, you, you called UNR, U Ukrainian People Republic, it was immediately jailed <laughs> now by Germans and spent entire World War II sitting in a, in a, in a camp, but with uh, allowed communication to his uh, all followers and uh, subordinates. So he was just protected, seated in, in this uh, camera and working from the camera. After he was released and uh, managed to escape, he lived in uh, Germany under fictitious name. When they finally the KGB find him and kill him in the in fifties, that a story of meddling and investing into the Ukrainian uh, so-called independence, because you know before that three hundred years Ukraine from the time of Bogdan Khmelnytsky, who choose to join the Russian Empire because he was after a prison of Zaporozhye, Zaporozhye Cossacks and uh, trying to fight against Crimean Tatars, joining the force together with Crimean Tatars against Poland, fighting against Poland and understanding when they broke the uni union with the Tatars, he will be de destroyed by Poles. He come to the Russian Tsar and uh, ask them to unite and to take Ukraine in the Russian Empire. And it was not easy decision for the Russians. They they make a lot of consultations. They make a lot of gathering. More than, I believe, a few years they decided. And they're fine. Because for them, it was mean a war with a pond immediate. And they finally, in the Pereyaslav Rada, uh, it's a town close by to Kiev, that was announcement of that unification of Ukraine and Russia, and uh, and Russia go at war with Poland. And this is how uh, 300 years of 
together with Russian Empire, Russia invests in everything in Ukraine as an own home. They build an industry, they build a culture, they they uh, even, you know, leaders of Ukrainian independence, like Taras Shevchenko, they were studying an academy in St. Petersburg. They was financed, financed by uh, the their Russian people. And it's ended up in the short independence period in the 19, when, uh, 1918, when the Russia was facing the uh, consequences of revolution and the World War I was coming to the end. And Germany t- grabbed a chance and enforced a very, very uh, brutal for Russians uh, Brest-Litovsky peace agreement when Ukraine go under the German protectorate. And uh, and for for the Russians, it was only one solution because they understand they have no power to fight Germany now. So they agreed in these humiliating conditions. But it it's take only two years to uh, build the army and the Red Army together with uh, all rebellions against uh, that independent Ukraine government happened. And of course, in Ukraine, there was quick changes of leaders. Petlura come and go, Skaropatsky come and go. So that's ended up in 2021. And in 2022, that I believe Ukraine was one of fourth republic was formed the Soviet Union and signed an agreement. You know what's, for me, what's ridiculous because I... Uh, study the history of Soviet Union and Ukraine and Communist Party of Soviet Union all my childhood and in university. Now Ukrainians start calling these Soviet times as an occupation by Russians. Can you imagine? The republic who was a founder republic of the Union who willingly and completely free signed that agreement and formed the, the biggest second in the world country called Soviet Union, now calling this Soviet times the time of occupation. Now it's completely bullshit. It's 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 not true. It's false because Ukrainians was a member of big family of uh, Soviet Union and uh, that was a leader of the Soviet Union economy and the culture and, and, and so on. So it was no occupation at all. And and uh, when World War II started and uh, Hitler, uh, after the two years managed by Stalin peace, uh, because Stalin completely understand uh, that will be a war with Germany. How I know that he ordered to great director, film director, Sergei Eisenstein to produce and to film the story of Alexander Nevsky and that film, Nevsky, come out, uh, Eisenstein uh, filmed it in 1937, 1948, the film was released, but very little, because in this time, 1949, that was a Molotov-Ribbentrop pact already in place. They tried to not alienate the Germans with that big release, but they re-released the film on uh, uh, June and July of uh, 1941 when World War II started. And that movie was about, actually, it's a very good film. It's a masterpiece. And if, uh, you know, my 
my teacher and my dear friend Oliver Stone uh, uh, was inspired by Alexander Nevsky when he wrote the script for film Conan Barbarian. And uh, even production design was taken from that film of Eisenstein. But the film was very big about what is a common rules for the all Russian people for Slavs. What is unification? What is making them different civilization than uh, European one? And I believe that Russian civilization is different because the way how they practice in their religion is different. Uh, they direct uh, ancestors of uh, Byzantine Empire and the uh, Orthodox religion is uh, direct keeping and preserving preserve, keep it in preservative clarity way how uh, the Emperor Constantine established the, the Orthodox Church in the, in the Great Roman Empire. And the Byzantium was the people not call themselves Byzantines, they call them same Romae, was mean people from Rome. And uh, and how that's uh, related to Russia, because in the very end, Russia was all the time supporting for Byzantium Empire, but in the very end of empire existence, when the Ottoman Empire was rising and the Byzantium Empire was falling down, and it was a big tragedy because it was a very advanced uh, society and a term of science and culture and the religion, uh, very educated and the, the, the centrum of cultural uh, exchanges. But when they failed before that, that Sofia Poliolog was uh, in arranged marriage to Russian Tsar Ivan III. The plan for people in the Vatican uh, who was uh, advocating for that was attempt to convert the Russian uh, Tsar to be a Catholic. And unfortunately, they don't understand that Sofia Paleolog was an Orthodox. And as soon as she crossed the border of Russia on the way to his future husband, she started attending all Russian Orthodox churches and practicing in a very clear Orthodox way. <laughs> so its plan failed, but the Sofia Paleolog brings uh, with her 70 carriages of books, what included such a rare books, like a books that was from a, a great library of Alexandria and so on. That actually was a legendary and mystical a foundation for the library of Ian the Terrible were until now not found. And uh, it's like, you know, big, big treasure hunts about this. But he also, she also bring the throne with a unicorn standing on the, on the back and the Russian court of arm, two-headed eagles. So this is why the Russian way of monarchy was based on a Byzantine practice and united with a believing in a God in a way how Orthodox Church was not separated from a government that was a part of the management society. And all of the things with the Sofia Paleolog marriage to uh, Ivan III 
change oh that yeah they they, they live happily uh she she, uh, she bring their tw uh, 12 kids nine of them survive uh, and one uh grandkid to be a greatest russian leader ivan the terrible it is called ivan the terrible in the english language he has a different name in russian grozny and uh, uh they she also built the Kremlin, as we know it, like in because before that Kremlin was uh, the wooden, uh, and also she made from his husband from just Moscow Duke she made the Russian Tsar, really Tsar, and Caesar. It's come from Byzantium Empire, and this is how the establishment of Russian Empire started. And from this time, the center of power, because of church and because of Byzantium and heritage, move from Kiev to Moscow. Moscow more and more play more important role and be at center. And this is where, when the Kiev go and they like a more like provincial role, not a center of power. And from that time, Moscow rise and Kiev still keeping that uh, name of mother of all Russian cities, but not be a real uh, center of power. And it's, we know that from the history what's fight for who will be metropolitan of church in Kiev was all the time a uh, game of power at this time. Bringing these stories to the Western audience, as you know, this empty empty page here, nobody knows nothing about this. And then they don't know about cultural importance and history at all. I, I'm it really said about the knowledge of geography of Americans. They they know very little because I believe they don't study this here in the school. But they also know very little about history. And the history of this part of the world not studied at all. And so Americans, they don't know the history of Soviet Union. They don't know what's happened before, what's happened after. So they know only, like, you know, rewritten the history from a point of view of American superiority in the world. And as the Soviet Union was our biggest enemy because communists just they won't grab our property and uh, run it <laughs> for the government and they established the Gulag in the United States. So nobody be, uh, understand in, con in contemporary so that the biggest social experiment was uh, Soviet Union run and fail was for something good you know, to be in some better way of governance than exist before. So let's go back to Scott, because we, we so when Scott start talking about Zelensky, this is a very important uh, piece of work because Zelensky uh, trajectory from the candidate to president actor who want to make a peace and stop the war in Donbass. This is why 73% of his electoral base vote for him, not for President Poroshenko, who was compromised by all this, you know, making the war and money at the same time and uh, collaborating with Biden family, this firing the prosecutor general who, shocking, who tried to investigate Biden and Burisma dealings. And the Zelensky story, was quick fall into that from this uh, naive uh, actor who 
uh, was set up to the power through the media operation running the TV show for that. And to be a, a freedom fighter against Russia and the, and the leader of the coalition of forces united to defend Ukraine against the Russian invasion. This is tremendous story because it's happened so fast and it's lead to very horrible consequences because you, if you have no statement in a, in a position of uh, leader of the country, you're dealing with all consequences, loss of sovereignty, etc., etc., etc. And the Scott film making good explanation for everybody in the West what is Zelensky is. I believe that subject need to be investigated more because, and I think it's something else coming up and uh, because uh, I cannot tell who and how, but I was helping another, another producers to make, I believe, eight episodes about Zelensky. And it's, I believe, coming, coming out soon. Mm-hmm. That's very exciting. I think one of the think one of the uh, key things from the movie that stood out uh, for me, and I think uh, that is important and still is, albeit I think you said you touched upon it in one of your previous films, which is to say the everlasting present. Mm-hmm. That the key role actually of the Orange Revolution in helping set everything up and i wanted us uh, to touch briefly on that because it was something that is touched upon now a lot of the film is about zelensky but part of how zelensky got to be there was the orange revolution and in particular the character of viktor yushchenko and especially his wife are very interesting here to me because um Katerina Yushchenko has a perfectly Ukrainian-sounding name, but she's not Ukrainian, uh, at least not by nationality. She was born in Chicago, and you even unearthed a photograph of her when she was uh, younger, throwing up a rather um, awkwardly Hi, angled, son. yes, a mm-hmm. awkwardly angled salute, shall we say, with her right arm. Um, yeah, <laughs> quite, uh, quite so. But um, how is it that? Um, a uh, man who, when he was president of the Bank of Ukraine, who had had the Bank of Ukraine running a series of pyramid schemes that collapsed and therefore worsened the economic crisis in Ukraine, and who is married to a diaspora nationalist American woman, gets represented as being for democracy and clean government. Uh so could you tell us a bit about perhaps the original Agent Zelensky, the original attractive, handsome face to make banderism acceptable? Yeah, the, it's all started with a movement against President Kuchma because they they run the campaign uh, funded from uh, USAID, I believe, and National Endowment for Democracy, Ukraine without Kuchma. The brightest leader of this was a two-personality, one of them was ex-prime minister and uh, before that head of uh, National Bank of Ukraine, before that head of Bank of U- U- Ukraine, the commercial bank Ukraine, with a codename accountant, <laughs> who suddenly when he started rising to power, he was like, you know, 
he feels that he is a messiah. He's a, uh, have some mission for Ukrainians. And uh, when the, he suddenly, he rises to the power and rising more and more, and he finally was uh, noted and uh, noticed. And suddenly, when on his way to Washington, he sat on a close seat, same seats together with Katerina Chumachenka, who was a White House employee before that worked for the State Department, and an American official who, and they fall in love. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's just, it's never happened in a real life without carefully executed plan. Uh, invented in some corridors of Langley, Virginia, when how to set up the full control over the probably president of Ukraine uh, and how to set in motion the big plan to uh, make steer Ukraine out of Russian influence. So they planted uh, Katerina Chumachenka and a, and a neighbor seat in a plane. They start talking and they start uh, and and, they, and that's how mission is started. The Katerina Chumachenka from Ukrainian diaspora was a member of PLUS, as youth organization, when they usually use that salutation as a I was teached by Germans during the World War II. Uh, it's actively pro-national radical organization. I can call that Nazi organization, but it's uh, uh, they calling themselves uh, for uh, continue to the fight of heroes. And who's that heroes? You know, <laughs> because it's funny when that everybody in the Western press uh, starts saying that Slava Ukraini, Ukraini and the uh, he, uh, glory to uh, the Ukraine glory to heroes. Who's that heroes? Huh. This is exactly Bandera, Mel Melnik, Shukhevich, and others who brutally killed Poles and run the campaign of uh, genocidal campaign. What's even German SS, Waffen SS troops was afraid to carry this uh, dirty job. So they outsourced it to Ukrainian nationalists and they did it with proud. So this is actually that heroes. And in this uh, ancestor of that, thanks that Katerina Chumachenka was planted in the inner circle of Yushchenko and be closest uh, source of influence. And after that, they start funding this and they arranged the color revolution in Ukraine 2004, when Viktor Yanukovych win the election, they bring 2 million people on the streets of Kiev and mostly peacefully using that poisoning Yushchenko for a cause to bring more, you know, people love wounded, people love their victims, and that's work for him. And uh, thanks God, in this time of negotiation of peaceful transition, uh, when Yanukovych gave up, and Medvedchuk was managed to discuss and to implement the changes in the Ukrainian constitution and to bring more power to the uh, prime minister of Ukraine. And immediately the person who we know as a Yulia Timoshenko, uh, was elected by prime minister and they start fighting together with Yushchenko. Economy go on the slowdown and everything go very bad for uh, that government. And after that, 
second term, Yushchenko lose to Yanukovych, and he got only 5% of vote for him. This is how badly he's failed. So we managed to secure the interview with him because he knows nothing practically about my involvement in a film. If he knows I am involved, it never happened, never. But looking at Simona Mangiante in front of him, a beautiful Italian-American who knows nothing about Ukraine, he started telling the stories of you. If you look just at this movie in the Yushchenko part, you will find very funny revelations. What actually later, when movie come out, he was blamed a lot by Ukrainian nationalists and radicals, by Nazi and all all people in media Ukraine for conducting this interview for us, because he, he was duped. He was like blah blah blah. Uh, you know what? My personal feelings of uh, message what Yushchenko tried to send to the West through our film was that West is impotent in to finish anything what they started. Uh, he feel completely abandoned in his uh, outside of Kiev house. His wife not with him. His kids also grown up and not with him. He's alone, you know, abandoned messiah with uh, dreams not coming true. And I believe he is thinking, and he's benefited a lot to bring in differences with Russia and to alienate Russia. And his actions, like uh, giving the status of hero of Ukraine to Stepan Bandera, what was immediately denounced by next president, showing his uh, and his praising of Ukrainian nationalism as a way of fight for freedom, even. And he told such a brutal lies, like, you know, as in, it's nothing radical, it's nothing violent in the Ukrainian nationalists. They're not Nazi. they just fighting for their independence. We illustrated very well with a video B-roll to show the audience how the reality is different from Mr. Yushchenko's uh, vision. But this is how. And uh, another thing was can help to help the West to bring down the Russian-leaning uh, politics politics in Ukraine was ex-prime minister of Ukraine, uh, Lazarenka, Pavel Lazarenka, who was detained on an allegation of corruption uh, trying to enter the United States by using Panama passport. Uh, he was rebelled against President Kuchma and failed in this rebellion, served, served seven years in the uh, uh, in the American prison, got the green card after that, and happily resided, in, I believe, in San Diego now. Uh, what was happening with him? He was collaborating with FBI. He gave to FBI entire picture how the power structure is working in Ukraine, what his family is running, whom, whom by whom, and what is the structure of power alliances and differences in Ukraine. So when the 2004 Orange Revolution was benefited tremendously from this. And of course, the role of, uh, we cannot underestimate the role of George Soros and other oligarchs, even Boris Berezovsky, running runaway Russian oligarch, who mastermind like a Moriarty, the, the doctor of mathematics, and who, who was quite involved 
in the coming Putin to power in Kremlin and who was advocating advocating for this. And he was also uh, the donor of Ukrainian revolution in 2004, that we, because Ukrainians steal 20 millions of his money. So this is how we know he was uh, actively involved in funding. So the story of uh, Ukrainian revolutions, this is a story of foreign uh, involvement in completely without any control from the government. So the government in Ukraine, first of all, Ukraine has no visa as a regime for European and the Americans, Yushinka did it. Second, they have no control over the funds, what's coming through the NGO. And they also start losing their influence in the media. So because the independent, so-called independent media start pumping up in 2014 and bring a needed component of media coverage to that social revolution. Yes, so that Zelensky story has a roots and predecessors, and we can at least point out two of them. One of them was President Petra Poroshenko, who first fall in that lava. He was actually the agent of CIA and State Department, uh, undisclosed. But I believe that he started working for CIA in the beginning of, uh, of 2000. And the second one before was uh, Viktor Yushchenko, who was under complete uh, control through his wife to the State Department and, of course, the CIA. And third was Zelensky, who, uh, I believe, he has a handler. Uh, this is his chief of staff, Yermak. And Yermak, he is a big friend of uh, Ambassador McFall. And, uh, and they're working together with him in a MACFOL Yermak commission to uh, construct and set up the sanctions and to fight an informational war and economical war with Ukraine engaged. And through Yermak, uh, they crafting and drafting all strategic communications of Agent Zelensky. And, uh, and he just a speaker who delivering uh, in a good Ukrainian language. <laughs> What is he is not talking to his inner circle? This is empire of lie, you know. Uh, if you if you talk about Ukraine, I more and more see all signs of uh, number four Reich and uh, the Nazi after authoritarian regime with no freedom of uh, human, no basic human rights, no freedom of speech, no freedom of gathering no freedom of parties, political expressions, and uh, completely brainwashed and uh, and using us only as a, as a cannon fodder for the proxy war, what United States need to run endlessly, <clears throat> because you, the United States do not need the victory of Russia or victory of Ukraine. They want to have it conflict forever because this is how United States military industrial complex make all that money. They're not making the money from uh, selling the armaments for the foreign uh, governments. They're making the money from American taxpayers and from the printing machine who's printing the United States dollars in Washington, D.C. I think you make a very good point, which is part of the reason why on this channel we sometimes say instead of Ukrainian president 
uh, Volodymyr Zelensky, we say Ukrainian dictator Volodymyr Zelensky, because the society that he has helped create and shape himself because in quite a short time, uh, even more so than it was under Poroshenko, is a full-on authoritarian state. Uh, with some attributes of totalitarianism, but it wasn't always uh, that way. Before we get to Zelensky the dictator, let's talk about Zelensky the actor, and especially the role that got him elected. Can you tell us a bit about uh, President Goloda Barodko and Servant of the People, and what purpose that served? Um, to come to this, I need to go a little bit more deeper in the Zelensky actor career. Uh, he is born in, in Krivoyrok. This is a city in the Dnipropetrovsk area when I was also born and, and work on it. So his first success was, it was a like, you know, comedy, comedy competition called KVN. There's different teams competing with each other and they build the team what's called quarter of 95. It was very popular. They, they perform the tricks and they start uh, doing this uh, as a business. And he come to the uh, movie theaters and uh, as an actor and comedian. And he has an employee of comedian in films. Uh, and they make a few movies with an American director uh, with a Russian descent. No, as an as American director, but he called himself Russian, and Marius Weisberg. Marius, my good friend, and a uh, few of my well-known people who work for me, work for him as well. I will not call the names, but... And he made Zelensky as an actor notable, because, you know, uh, in the actor career, you need to be in a lead role, to, and you need to have a commercial success for that. So they make different movies with uh, Vladimir that call uh, Eight First Dates and uh, Zhevsky against Napoleon and uh, Zelensky play Napoleon. You know, he is very much matching to Napoleon character. And this is how Marius make him big actor. This is not Zelensky's success. This is success of guy who is educated both countries Russia and United States, very, very good uh, director for romantic comedies. And that's Zelensky make his name. And after that, he start working with, uh, funded by, uh, owned by Kalamoisky TV channel One Plus One. And they develop this uh, TV series called Servant of People, when his character was a school teacher who was elected to president and make uh, radical changes to the life because Ukrainians know all the power is corrupted very much in Ukraine. And to see that dream, it's never come true, you know, <clears throat> because it's impossible to honest uh, people, to honest men be president of Ukraine because first of all, he need to know how to deal with the sharks, how to keep intent the oligarchs and, and the bureaucracy. Zelensky has no knowledge of this completely. And of course, his character, Golovorotka as well, uh, performing such a tricks like, you know, firing two Uzi uh, from two hands in the parliament. 
it was quite a good uh, prediction because after his make that parliament completely rubber stamped uh, and uh, uh, abuse all power in the Ukraine. Before that, he was an actor. And you know what's actor doing? Actor receiving the script and delivering the lines and director approve it and help him to adjust it in a way how director and producer needed to the, for the film. So his role is a completely under subordination of director and a scriptwriter. This is exactly how why it's a perfect choice for that uh, all Westerners who run that Ukrainian proxy war, because you have a well-mannered, young, and good-looking the so-called president, but he's not president. He's your actor who can deliver every line what you give to him. And this is why all Stratcom's strategic communications written for Zelensky, not in Kiev, but written for him here in Langley. Okay, let's go back to uh, movie past of Zelensky. I have my personal encounters with Vladimir in 2012 when one of my sole then partner tried to set us up together to make some remake for the feature animation. It's animation about Cossacks, the national folks uh, heroes and uh, all different that circumstances, how they play football, how they go for the salt, etc., etc. And they want to make a remake. We do not strike the deal because I was surprised because we need we're supposed to finance the entire film, and they planning to get the forty percent of profit for them, twenty percent for rights for remake and left the 40% for us. And we need to do all the job. I was say, listen, this is ridiculous. We never work like that. And we're not gonna work. And you know what's also, um, I'm noticed that all the time when I trying to talk to Zelensky personally, he has a lot of excuses to postpone or reschedule because he's boarding the plane. He's stepping in the conference room. He has a huge conference call. So he was busy, busy, busy man. Because on this time, he ran, I believe, five or seven businesses. He was a CEO of Channel One Plus One. He was a, a chief of his production company called Quarter 95. He was an actor in the films. He was a stand-up comedian. And, and it's all together simultaneously. So he has practically no time, but he don't need the time. Kalamoyski has all time what he need, who financed that TV series and who owned the TV channel. And they planted and set up the character of president who's serving the people and they run it. And people like it because it was funny. It was uh, political and, uh, and it has a promising of dream scenario. Dreamcatch scenario. So we have a president who take care about people and that's helped him a lot. And they even run the last, the season four during his campaign and uh, use it as a not calculated in a budget of campaign, a tool to help him to win. And uh, don't uh, underestimate that Poroshenko was completely corrupted man who 
associate in Ukrainian uh, electorate with a war. So they want to, they want him off. Their whole opposition was helping Zelensky. And uh, of course, they was disappointed after. It's only one person who stand against him in that election was uh, into parliament was Viktor Medvedchuk. And of course, they they don't win this because, you know, the electorate of Viktor Medvedchuk party was mostly in Crimea and the eastern part of Ukraine. And at this time, no Donbass, no Crimea, no don't participate in this election in Ukraine. So they lose the electorate base. And of course, the people who was uh, more on a national and radical uh, leaning the western part of Ukraine, they win an election. And it was, I believe, last chance to uh, to change the course of incoming war in 2019. Window was closed. And after that, as we discussed, and Oliver asked Viktor Medvedchuk during the interview, are you not afraid? Because it's looked like you will face a very hard couple of years in Ukraine. And uh, Medvedchuk was courageous enough to say, no, I'm staying. I'm not going to run away out of the country. And you know how it ended up. His political party was pro uh, prohibited. His TV channels was closed. His own himself was arrested. And after that, put to the jail when that special operation started and tortured. And only the will of Vladimir Putin to keep his words and do not give up, uh, they negotiate his release and release Azov leaders uh, in exchange for Medvedchuk freedom. Drama, you know? Yes. Real, real life drama. Um, I think uh, I have a question then. I think something that you um, didn't cover in the movie, but uh, let's keep focused on the movie, which is that you mentioned you saw, which is that you've, uh, you talk in the movie or through Scott about, uh, Scott Ritter, about Ukraine possibly getting a nuclear weapon or thinking about that or scheming about that. And I think you have a clip of, of all people, it's either David Arahamia or Podolyak in June 2021 talking about we should get nuclear weapons then we could then we could literally blackmail anybody to get whatever we want and they'd have to give it to us could you talk a bit about that and how you came across it because what I was astonished by when seeing what you put up on screen was how much of it was open source things that you don't need to dig too deep to find or you don't need to go into some secret archive with some uh, kind of security clearance, you can just, if with a little bit of patience of looking on the internet and also on publicly available documents, make this case. How did you find that, and what is up with that? So first of all, first of all, um, I'm studying this. Uh, I'm studying this for the another film, the origin of Budapest Memorandum, uh, and. That's how I make myself familiar with this very, very uh, uh, hard negotiation was happening until 1994, three years, uh, sponsored by United States, Russia, Great Britain. 
because it was about nuclear legacy of Soviet Union. First of all, everybody agreed for such an unstable regime in a small country like Ukraine, Belarus, and Kazakhstan, that's dangerous to keep nuclear arsenal for them. For Nur Sultan Nazarbayev tell me this story in very much details when we work on the film Kazakh, the history of the golden man and interview him. And that was hard position, but you know, I need to say that Nazarbayev negotiated much better conditions for uh, his country uh, because I believe he negotiated $2 billion of dollars for uranium, what was in the warheads of this 104 rockets standing in uh, Kazakhstan. And Ukraine has 459 rockets, and they they got like a something around 300 millions. So that was uh, nothing. But Budapest Memorandum was uh, signed, and what's happened during this memorandum? This just the process of justification, the Russia taking care about all nuclear legacy of Soviet Union and grabbing because first of all that was useless nuclear weapons without codes uh it's impossible to break them you need to redo completely system of initiation it's nobody let allow to belarus or ukraine or kazakhstan to enter the nuclear club and to own the all nuclear football so the idea of that Budapest memorandum was that superpowers such as United States, Russia, and Great Britain, uh, give some kind of guarantee of uh, security for countries who's given up that nuclear arsenal and transferring that to Russia. That was very hard negotiation because such a lot of participants, and it's ended up in Budapest, and it was signed. And it was obligation. And everybody who sponsored that uh, memorandum was finally happy because, you know, to have a free new members in the nuclear club can shape tremendously the balance of power into the world. Because Ukraine at this time was the third country in the world after Russia and the United States and the numbers of strategic nuclear weapons. So Ukraine gave up nuclear uh, capacity, and that was good for Ukraine because in the other condition, if Ukraine do not give up, that will be completely isolated, prosecuted, and surrounded by uh, economical sanctions and everything when this North Korea way, North Korea scenario. Ukraine don't want this, and of course they, they sign it, and they also conserve the capacity to produce to enrich uranium, what was based in the and the scientific uh, experience. And they also transfer leftovers of plutonium, weapon-grade plutonium, weapon-grade uranium to United States, as well as Kazakhstan. But Ukraine has industrial capacity to quickly redevelop the nuclear weapons. First of all, more than 30% of Ukrainian energy generated by nuclear nuclear reactors. Uh, it was a Chernobyl station, it was Zaporizhia, now it's a Russian one, Rovno, Khmelnytsky in the, uh, 
South Ukrainian one. Second, uh, Ukraine has capacity to enrich uranium. It's located in the Dnepropetrovsk. Now it's called different name, but this city close to the Dnepropetrovsk, and they call that Dnepropetrovsky uh, chemical plants. Uh, when they have a centrifuge and they can enrich uranium even much faster than the Iranians do. So they also has uh, the scientific uh, institute in Kharkov would have two reactors and they can build all ignition system for the nuclear bomb, a bomb, and they have the plant and uh, in the Dnipropetrovsk and who produced that uh, ICBM. So they can deliver the vehicle for delivery of nuclear weapons. So what the Venzel and Russians know that, and everybody know that, so Ukraine has capacity, industrial capacity to regain the nuclear legacy. And when on 19th of February, Zelensky and a Munich security conference in his speech mentioned that all Budapest memorandum is falling apart, and there's no security left, guarantee left for Ukraine. Oh, how that's falling apart. Ukraine signed a Minsk Agreement 1, Minsk Agreement 2 never implemented. Just do everything, just not implement it, but build up the, the forces without the military. So that Zelensky pretending that Budapest memorandum doesn't work anymore, and the, the memorandum cover only nuclear aggression, so uh, protecting from the nuclear weapons, not from the convenient one. And, and I believe his statement that the Budapest memorandum is, doesn't work at all was a last step what Ukrainian regime did to provoke Russian actions. Because imagine Ukraine regaining the nuclear power with the help or without, build up the forces and start attacking Donbass and Crimea as they have a plan. That was a plan. And with uh, three weeks of tremendous escalation and firing uh, shots, that was a last step in a chain of actions of provocation of Russia to think differently about their security and to start using the hostile elections and uh, because russia russia uh, uh say it out loud so if we will not get security uh from our western partners that will be a measures of military and technical means i mean they they call that military measures but we understand what is mean when the if it's about the Russian security, and they understand they will have their situation on the battlefield because Crimea is isolated. So they will fight for that. The Putin cannot allow to lose Crimea and to betray a will of 2.7 million people who on a, a, the referendum choose to join the Russia. And that was a very big deal for him. And Military advisors, I believe, tell to Vladimir Putin that will be very much complicated if Ukraine start that war and without the corridor to supply Crimea 
by the land that will be only Black Sea, and this is will be massacre in the Black Sea that will be huge and very, very dangerous military complications. This is why when Ukraine finally crossed all the lines and entertained openly idea to regain the nuclear legacy and to get the nuclear capacity, what I estimate from six to nine months from the time of decision-making to real deployment Ukraine needed. And imagine what will we have on hands if that uh, ter terror state of Ukraine has uh, ability to blow the nuclear device at least 20 kilotons. That will be disaster, you know. Of course, they're not going to blow. They're going to blow to cause as much as more media effect. This is why... And yeah, this is how this is how what I call the anatomy of provocation of Ukraine did to start that war. Yeah, uh, we can go maybe to questions if we if we have something from audience what they want to cover. Yeah, we oh, we do. Go ahead, Lydia, take it. No, you go ahead. No, I can't find them. Hold on. Okay, in your view. How do these alleged relationships between Zelensky and the Western powers shape the current geopolitical dynamics between Ukraine, Russia, and the West? Uh, Zelensky is a talking head in this uh, in this uh, relations. Zelensky perfectly sweet for West because he is an actor, and he delivering all speeches what they give to him, and they. I also take all blames if something go wrong. This is how the West using Zelensky. And uh, they want a proxy war. They want endless war because it's benefit for military industrial complex. And they want to weaken in Russia. They want to arrange around Russia ring of fire as the Rent Corporation uh, research and report showing. So the Zelensky suit perfectly for this role. Obedient actor. Uh, B, B, B minus B plus on the quality of his acting, Jewish, and uh, not questioning any decision what's make in a on a Potomac River. So he's perfect choice until he got the rebellious and he's. I believe I already we already see that signs. Uh, when Zelensky was in a conflict with uh, before the Vilnius summit of NATO, and he started blaming the uh, Great Britain and the uh, Minister of Defense, etc., etc., this is first signs what the actor so deep in his character, he's forget what script is written not by him and director of the show, not him, but other people. So he's. And this is kind of chance to uh, suddenly fall out of favor if he will continue this. I see he's backing up a little bit and this. He understand the freedom of uh, leader of free world cannot uh, bite the hands what given him food and uh, armaments and everything. And this is how, but you know, the Zelensky hope is doomed because He's cornered. From one side, he has Russia with all Russian military might. On another side, he has Ukrainian nationalists who never allow him to sign the peace with Russia. And also, 
he has a master's. What and the goals of West in Ukraine completely different than goals of Ukraine. They don't need victorious victory of Ukrainian troops. They need an endless war. This making the position of Zelensky is very complicated in the nearest future because, first of all, he cannot deliver what he promised. Second of all, uh, West in charge for decision making. As soon as the the administration sitting in White House will change or change the mind, it will be totally different uh, course of action in Ukraine. And uh, endless support, as uh, Secretary Blinken, you know, we need to ask, you need, we need to ask ourselves why the White House and the uh, and the uh, State Department keep repeating this word. We are, we will support uh, Ukraine endlessly. We will support. We committed. So they never mentioned Ukraine victory. They mentioned support. That means the military uh, deliveries and the financial support for Ukraine. So they never. So goals of uh, people in the State Department in the White House is totally different than goals of Mr. Zelensky, and so then deeper conflict will go, then deeper than differences will emerge. This is my answer. Let's go next. You're so bossy. Let's go next. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I do have this one. Actually, I'm interested in it. Is during your research for Agent Zelensky, were there any surprising facts or insights you discovered that didn't make it into the final film? Yes. Uh, this is a money laundering machine for next Biden campaign. What, unfortunately, we cannot prove uh, in the, and have no time to validate it in more details, but it's all about the cryptocurrency uh, uh fallen uh entities and uh, we know that but the scott tried to concentrate on something more uh available for illustration like you know real estate of zelensky in different parts of the world miami great britain etc that i believe that's much more bigger uh and much more interesting scam is hidden and we cannot prove it yet. So this, we have some facts, but uh, it's, I believe, the the cause for the next, the goal for the next movies about this. I myself have a final question, <clears throat> but it's a question from me, not from our audience. Mm -hmm. um, and it has to do actually with one of the issues that you also touched upon in the movie. And that is, of course, that what is going on with, and it's an episode that we were going to bring you on for, but we didn't have time. And that is what's going on with the Orthodox Church. And so who is behind that and what is, and what is up with that? Because um, I've had my jaw on the floor looking at the official persecution of the Orthodox Church and wondering – I'm sorry, was I suddenly transported back to the mid-18th century? Yeah, yeah. This has a history as well in Ukraine, because the Orthodox Church in Ukraine, first of all, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church is completely independent, but they work in through the Moscow Russian Orthodox Church and Patriarchate, and 
they're not pricing this all uh, Zelensky campaign. So they, before that, President Poroshenko decided to establish the fake church called Ukrainian Pravoslavy, uh, Ukrainian Orthodox Church. And they go to uh, uh, Patriot Bartolomeo, who's sitting in, a, uh, I believe, in Constantinople, yeah, in Istanbul. And they buy both from him the Thomas. So the rights to announce the autocephalic independent Ukrainian Orthodox Church, but not the Russian Orthodox Church. And they start immediately do the church grabbing. So they grab the real estate, the buildings, and you know, without God inside of that building, this and this is just the real estate. This is not a church, this is not a religion. And final act of this was the Kiev Pichersko Lavra, what is the heart of uh, Orthodox Church of Ukraine, Russian Orthodox Church in Ukraine, and the Minister of Culture, who is a right hand of appointee of Kolomoisky, Alexander Tkachenko, and a good friend of Zelensky, uh, because Tkachenko was also the CEO of Channel One Plus One before Zelensky or after the before Zelensky term. So they start uh, attacking uh, that church and because they cannot do it in a civil court, they use the criminal provisions and they start uh, prosecuting the Orthodox priests and do horrible crimes. And, uh, and this is how that they try to diminish the influence of peacekeeper influence of Russian Orthodox Church in Ukraine. And uh, they that they church still empty. They nobody going in there because people believe in God. They don't believe in the state. And when the state is so brutally uh, fighting against church, this reminds me the Third Reich of Adolf Hitler and all other religions was not uh, approving the course of action of Nazi was banned and prohibited and prosecuted. That's exactly the same. That's exactly the same shit. I came, I think that's a very powerful way to conclude. Hmm. Yeah. And and we don't we don't need to forget that uh, Patriarch Bartolomeo completely on payroll from CIA. So he's under the State Department uh, guidance. So he did whatever he's he's talked to told to do. So as well as Zelensky. This is a free big uh, sources what they need to attack. They need to attack the language, they need to attack faith, and they need to attack uh, culture. So, you know, that's in the Russian songs. Uh, it's unbelievable shit. A Russian songs prohibited to play it loud in Ukraine. You cannot play it loud songs. You, Russian language is banned and the old bureaucrats and apparatus, they called speak English. You need to understand what masters demand from you. So you need to study English. All bureaucrats, all state apparatus need to know at least minimum English. I can now sit down, stop, do that. <laughs> Funny, yeah? <laughs> but this is official. <laughs> English language must be known because it is inter-language uh, uh, communication language now in Ukraine. And what else? 
language done, uh, culture. Oh, culture, yeah, they you cannot play the Russian song. All movies banned from uh, all movies produced by Russia and the Russian language, they banned in Ukrainian uh, uh, TV channels and the platforms. They don't have them. So this is attack uh, on all. Uh, they also they also has an attack on the Christmas. They stole the Christmas, and uh, they announced that now Ukraine will celebrate the Christmas not on the seventh of January as usual, and but on a Western way on the 25th of December. And uh, yeah, but now you can make a new movie. It will be like the Grinch who stole Orthodox Christmas. Yeah, Lansky. Yeah, it's a good point for comedy. Yeah, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, it's true. There's always a, there's always an element of truth. Perfect Grinch. Comedy. Perfect Grinch. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Well, my hope is that, and from what I see, and we post uh, videos on our channel from Ukraine, and we see that even though. Uh, there is this war being waged against everything Russian. We see that there are still enough people in Ukraine who cherish their heritage and they understand who the enemy is. So I guess that that's our hope. It's I, I also want to point out one a little bit different uh, subject. How many Ukrainians left in Ukraine? Because when that's Soviet a good Union, point. Yeah, because the Soviet Union broke apart that was 55 millions of Ukrainians living in Ukraine. If you look now, the closest number was provided by Viktor Medvedchuk in his uh, article, what he wrote, and it's around 19.4 millions Ukrainians left. They, they calculated Crimea out, Donbass out, that new region out, people exodus from Ukraine before, from 2014 to 2022, that was average amount of 1 million Ukrainians left Ukraine by official statistic. Calculating all of this, it given us at the straight numbers, 19.4. So that's mean more than people, more Ukrainians abroad than Ukrainians in Ukraine. And if people in abroad still holding Ukrainian citizenship and still hold, as for example, I am, they still can vote. So I believe that's a next political possibility because it's more Ukrainians abroad than inside of country. This is how to vote out Zelensky by Ukrainians who is not under his direct control and who has a chance to speak freely. You know, this is a big one opportunity. What I believe soon will be raised very much. And on this optimistic note, I believe we're coming to the end. Yes, and thank I will you so have much. a breakfast. Yeah. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. and when we'll we'll have dinner. I guess we'll yeah. I'll have dinner. And yes, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. We learned a lot. We're sure that our listeners will also learn a lot. Everyone, go watch the the movies. We will link all of them i think because i'm pretty sure that i found all of them on rumble and let's hope that they stay on there and nobody yeah. deletes them yeah the and... ukrainian fire still please mention ukrainian fire on amazon that provide a little 
cup of coffee for producers who still benefit from some kind of uh, <laughs> light sensing fee. Yes. Uh, it's easy to find. Yeah. Amazon and Amazon, we have Ukrainian Fire and we have uh, the Everlasting Present and the Maidan Massacre. They take, take down only revealing Ukraine because they're afraid to all our Biden uh, revelation, what is in that film. And uh, yeah, watch the films, educate yourself. This is the only way to survive. Yes, everyone who can do it, go on Amazon. Us poor Russians who don't have access to anything uh, Western, we will watch on Rumble. <laughs> so, yeah. But yes, everyone watch them because they're really wonderful. And subscribe to our channel, subscribe to our Substack. We work really hard on there. And we try to post very smart, important things about everything that is happening around the world. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you, dear audience. Come, come more.